Amen, amen. You guys can grab a seat and get your hand on a copy of God's Word. Um, Listen, church family, I just want you to know that um, I'm so thankful uh, just for our time together every week. And uh, I love our alignment around the truth of God's Word and the purpose of God's Word to lead us into a soul-satisfying relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. And, um, and listen, I love our passion to make Christ famous to everyone, everywhere, every day. And this shared commitment that we have, that I hope as you come into our church, you understand that we know that we are all, apart from Christ, a hot mess. And then once we come to faith in Christ, God's restoring that hot mess um, over time. And it shows us graciousness in it and mercy and love and uh that just really reminds me how important it is to realize that we are a church of messed up, broken sinners who are being redeemed by a perfect, loving Savior. And, and, and that's what we're going after together. And today, uh, we've got in front of us um, God's Word again, because God's Word is what uh, shapes us and leads us and reveals to us about the Word of God and leads us to an understanding of the person of God. And so we've got Acts 17 in front of us, um, uh, 15 verses in the beginning there, and uh, let me just pray for us before we begin. Uh, God, your word before your people for your purpose. I pray that that would be a commitment that we would have as a church. I pray that now as we come before your word that your spirit would move, that it would challenge us as I believe it, it, it intends to do today. And I pray that you would allow the realities of our life to align with what we say we believe, that you would both work in that, stir us up in that, teach us in that, train us, so that we might be faithful to all you've called us to. And so I thank you for this time together in your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, I I believe that we uh, have a bit of a, uh, a crisis in our society and in the church that I think is incredibly important to talk about and to address. And, uh, We need to be concerned with it. Um, It's this. It's that because of the realities of our culture and in our society, we are a people, I think, around the world who are losing our ability and the practice of reading deeply. Of reading deeply. It's a huge problem uh, because our culture is so, um, it's so easy to have access to volumes of information all the time coming at us. And we've developed this strategy that is really not a great strategy. It's called skimming. We skim everything. Even many of us in our learning to read is so incomplete and not right and not reflective even of the quality of literature, particularly the Bible. A few years ago, I read the book, 12 Ways Your Smartphone is Changing You by Tony Rink, and he writes there, he says, digital reading is unnecessarily hurried. Just think about your own life and the way that you read. And this habit bleeds into how we read our Bibles. We are called to suspend our chronic scrolling in order to linger over eternal truth because the Bible is the most important book in the history of the world. And in our culture today, we're losing the practice of of reading and thinking, watch this, slowly, carefully, and meditatively. 
too much rushing, and what it's creating is it's creating unhealthy Christians that then lead to unhealthy churches because we've ultimately and fundamentally at some level lost our ability to read in the way that I believe God designed us to. To be able to understand words on a page and to be able to understand how those words are constructed and then let the truth of those words fall on our hearts in such a way that we'd live differently. And this passage in front of us is going to challenge us with the very nature and function of the scriptures in the early church, and I believe not just for the early church, but certainly for the church today. And so um, turn to Acts chapter 17, follow along with me, I'm going to teach through the passage, and then I'm going to bring some clarity of what I believe uh, God is wanting to challenge us with this morning. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. We've, if you've been following along and as we've taught through the book of Acts, we've seen this again and again and again. Paul goes to people who are religious, right into the synagogue. He knows he'll get a hearing there. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. I'd really love to know what Paul's three-week sermon series was for that. It's kind of funny to think about. And it gives us a hint of what he was talking about, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. So apparently week one was Christ's suffering, week two was his resurrection, week three was, and saying this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But, here comes resistance, but the Jews were jealous. Why? They were jealous with the message. People were believing it, and they weren't believing their message. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Amen. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. Stirred up, not unlike today. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Then verse 10, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. They're like, you better get out of here. We've seen what just happened uh, last chapter, and and let's try to avoid the flogging this time, or or worse. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Here we go again, same pattern. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, which I just don't know how this didn't get to the head of the, uh, the, the Jews in Berea. They're like, in the Bible, it says we're more noble than you in Thessalonica. And it says, why? Why were they more noble? They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Let me just pause there for a second, because you see this in both, both places. They have this aside observation about these leading women that were coming to faith in Jesus Christ and learning the scriptures. And what I want to point you to, it's not the main part of the passage, but it is something to take note of, is that there was a significance in the early church to what God was doing both in men and women. There was an equality in, at the foot of the cross, there is equality. And 
and, and there's this distinctiveness that would have been foreign to most ancient literature to even have acknowledged women. So sometimes the Bible gets a bad rap for its view on women, but I promise you here in the early church, there was a significance in the reporting of what was happening. And it says it's like not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. 13, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too. You're like, seriously, you're following us now? Like, stop stalking them. Agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Like, we're not moving. Verse 15, those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they also departed. This passage gives us a glimpse into the nature and the function and the impact of God's word in the early church and should cause us to ask the question, is it the same nature and function? And is it having the same impact now that it did then? And, and this much is clear from this passage. It's this, it's, it's, this is the challenge this morning, the big move. Approach the scriptures ready to receive direction from God. This was not just a book or not just a message it was the message and their approach to the scriptures was an approach that has with it this character this nature to it that is i'm ready to receive direction from god there there needs to be an appropriate posture or position that we take when we approach the scriptures it's, there's a nature that God intended um, it to have on our lives. See, the scriptures are from God, so they have authority. If you believe that these scriptures are from God, if you believe they're breathed out by God, they're the word of God, they're the testimony of God, then they must have authority in your life. And the scriptures give direction. And they, you, you should come to them ready to receive direction. It should shape what you value. It should shape the way that you think. It should impact the way that you live. If you believe in the Lord Jesus and believe in his word, you are gonna come in humility before God's word and be like, please direct my life. Ready to receive direction. And if you're sitting here and maybe you're like, okay, are you just getting this from Acts 17? Thanks for challenging me. Don't take my word for it. Don't, 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 let's do what the Bereans did. Like, like they, they examined the word and let's see if it's so. Let's test this out. Here you go. 13 New Testament references that call us to be ready to receive God's word. Can we just for a moment be a bit overwhelmed by the consistency of the message? Here we go. Matthew 4.4. 4. Live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Mark 4.20, hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Luke 8.21, hear the word and do it. 8.31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. 8.51, if you keep my word, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. John 17.17, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. 1 Thessalonians 2, 13. 
When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. You see in the theme? 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Titus 1.9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active. James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only. 1 John 2.5, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly, the love of God is perfected. And let me assure you, this is the tip of the iceberg for the New Testament. And I'm not even going to the Old Testament this morning because we all don't have enough time in our day. But I could. The clear inescapable evidence of the scriptures here in Acts 17 and throughout God's word is clear. We must, if we believe in the nature of God's word and how it identifies itself and its function in nature, we have to approach the scriptures ready to receive direction from God. And this approach is a verb. It's a move that we need to be making consistently. But, but any verb um, to understand an action rightly, it needs to be informed. It's why I've taught again and again that we need to understand what the Bible says about love, not what the world says about love. We need to understand what the Bible says about justice, not let the world inform how we understand justice. We need to, un we need to define marriage by the scriptures, not by what the world says it is. And so, into this idea of approaching the scriptures, um, let's do, if, if, you're a, if you love English grammar, you'll know that the definition of an adverb is something that modifies or gives clear understanding about a verb or an action. And so from this passage in Acts 17, I see two adverbs that help impact or influence what it means to approach the scriptures so that we're in line with what God's word is teaching. And so the, the first adverb is this, purposefully, purposefully. Where do you see that at? Well, look in the passage. It says, Paul went in his custom on three Sabbath days. He reasoned with them, and then it says, explaining and proving. Well, from what? From what? From his, from his winsome ability to communicate? Was he just inherently persuasive? Was it, was it his logic and, and ability to have this really coherent, clear, understandable argument? Was it from human logic and wisdom? No to all of those. It's right there in the passage. Don't miss it. He reasoned, he explained, he proved from the scriptures. From the scriptures. Out of, because of, informed by the scriptures. This understanding of scriptures was the communication of what God had spoken. It is the whole entire message from Genesis to Revelation. It is all of it in its redemptive message that points and leads us to the person of God, the scriptures. And he reasoned, and he explained, and he proved from the scriptures, it was purposeful. It was purposeful. People who see the scriptures as important and truthful will necessarily structure their values, their thinking, and their actions from the scriptures. It's the same thing in Berea. Look, they received the word with all eagerness. If there's any 
um, summary of purposefulness, there it is. Receive the word with eagerness. Like more, more, we want more. And it says they examined the word. They examined it. They're like, does it really say what it says it says? And then they're like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, true. And they believed as a result of that to see if these things were so. And here, in addition, the other thing we get that's a picture of purposefulness is we get a a, a reference to time, and the reference is daily. Daily. Daily, they were in God's word. Now, you, you, you might think, oh man, that seems a little bit obsessive. Like, every day, really? Like, in God's word? If you believe it's the word of God, how can you not expect for there to be a natural appetite for it daily. Now, please, church, be careful. We're really bad at this. Don't make the daily thing into a law, okay? If you're a real Christian, you'll be in it every day. And if you miss a day, you should be questioning your faith. No. Your righteousness before God is because of what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross, amen? Now, now, listen, because of that reality, when Christ transforms your life, when he says, this is my word, be sanctified in my word, my word is truth, then the natural appetite of a person who really has an affection for Jesus Christ should be for the word daily. Totally different when you put it within the context of relationship. Do you see that? And not within the context of law. And this is a key observation. Purposefulness is linked to truthfulness. Purposefulness is directly linked to the authenticity of what we claim to be true. What you actually believe to be true will always direct your purpose. So, so we see this all the time in conversations about health and relationships. It's like, I believe that it's true that fast food is not good for me. I believe that um, regular exercise is important, and I believe that getting seven, eight hours of sleep a night is the best for me. But whether you actually believe those are true is evidenced by your life. And when you don't live in accordance with what you claim to be true, it means there is something more true that you actually do believe. So the reason why we don't do some of those things in our health is because we prioritize other things over that. We're like, the, the, maybe the time that it takes to prepare a meal, and I'm, I just care more about my schedule and what I, all the things I need to accomplish, so now I'm gonna choose um, a pattern of eating that in isolated forms I don't think is necessarily bad, but over a period of time, if, if that is your only diet, that's gonna show up in a variety of ways. And, and, and these aspects of health, we can say we believe, but if it's not reality in our purpose, it's not really true, even if you say it a lot of times. In the same way in relationships, right? You're like, I hear people all the time, they're like, I really love my wife and my kids are a priority. Really? Really? Do you believe that to be true or is it reflected in your purpose, in the way that you live your life? Are you really willing to make hard decisions and sacrifices to evidence that that is actually your purpose. Because here's the thing, actions reveal purpose and purpose reveals truth. Actions reveal purpose, purpose reveals truth. See, this is the problem with religiosity. Religiosity is going through the motions. It is agreement without action. It's affirmation without activity. It's saying the right thing but doing something different. Religiosity acts like you want to be faithful but you don't really believe. 
Purposefulness is deeply linked to truthfulness. If you are not purposeful with the scriptures, if you are not reasoning your life out, if you're not explaining, justifying, understanding what you should be doing and how you should be living, if you're not proving from the scriptures, if you're not receiving the word with all eagerness and examining it regularly, it reveals what you actually believe about the truthfulness of this book. And, and God's word is calling us to a purposefulness. A purposefulness, that's the first adverb, that must clarify our approach to scriptures. Then this, this adverb, personally, personally. Approach personally, ready to receive direction. This nature of God's word that we see in the early church is teaching us about how it should be having a personal impact in our life. There's evidence in this of the word of God being personally applied to people's lives. Look in verse four. I made note of it earlier. Some of them were persuaded and joined. Okay, like, I, I know this because if you, if you engage in anybody, particularly on any sort of mm, difficult issue over the uh, last year, you know it's really hard to persuade somebody. Most of the time people come with their argument pretty solidly established and just like bludgeon anybody that comes against it, okay? It's really not the most humble way to walk through life, but unfortunately it's happened a bit too much. It's kind of become an unfortunate pattern. Um, there was something that was playing out with the reality of the scriptures and the way it was being taught and they were receiving it and their approach was so personal that it was persuading them to the point where they were joining. Like it's one thing to be like, yeah, I, I'm kind of persuaded by that, but now my feet are literally moving to where these people are like joining, join with Paul and Silas which is reflective of the fact that they were coming to faith in Jesus Christ, aligning themselves with the purpose of the church and the mission of the church, and they were joining with Paul and Silas by coming to faith in Christ and then committing their lives to the mission that God had Paul and Silas on, which was to make Jesus famous, to make Christ famous. Their minds were convinced of this. And then, on top of that, you've got verse 6, where the outside observers... I love that because it's not the church saying, oh man, it's so awesome what's happening. It's the world going. Look at what it says in, in, in verse six. And it says, these men who have turned the world upside down. That's the disruption that the gospel brings. So I talked about last week. When you rightly are living with the, you're rightly, your life is being lived from the scriptures, it turns your life upside down. And it also means that, as they said in verse seven, as they observed, hey, you know what we're noticing? They have a different king, and his name is Jesus. And when I see that, I just go, amen. Yes, God. In our day, God. In our day. Let people see our lives and, and our conviction about God's word and go, man, that, that word turns people's lives upside down. Just, just, in, just if you were to go to the Sermon on the Mount, you could see how Jesus is doing all these sorts of things where he's taking their understanding of morality and their understanding of order and priority and he's just flipping all of it upside down again and again and again. People are just sitting there because the teaching of Jesus is so shocking. 
It's so different. It's so countercultural. When you approach the scriptures ready to receive direction from God personally, it will totally, completely, and without end turn your world upside down. I mean, still to today, I have moments where I'm reading God's word or God's spirit is convicting me of something and he's just like, no, I want that completely turned upside down. He's doing that in me. I could give you a testimony of five or six things off the top of my head that God's word is doing that in me right now. Upside down. Now, now here's what happens then. When you approach the scripture personally and you apply it, the fundamental theme is exactly what the people observe. It's that there's now a new king. There's a new king over their life, and his name's Jesus. Jesus is king over your life when you approach the scriptures personally. That's what you're doing. You're saying, your authority over my authority. Not my flesh, not my past, not my parents, not my friends, not the wisdom of the world, not the lust of the flesh, not the cares of this world, not my limitations, my anxieties, my struggles, none of it. Not anything created or imagined. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. I think that was probably a good time for an amen, but maybe you're out of practice. (laughs) Over everything created or imagined, when we come and approach the scriptures personally, we declare, Jesus is my king. You guys did better that time. And and here's what happens, though, because I I, want to make sure we understand this clearly. See, the enemy, our flesh, and the world loves to distract us from personally applying God's word to our life in such a way that it would turn our world upside down to a place where a Jesus would clearly be my king. And so I just wanna, I wanna give this sort of a picture um, to you uh, using just this stool and this really big Bible. This is kind of a flex. I mean, you walk into a Bible study with this Bible, you're kinda like, <laughs> I don't know where you got your Bible from, but this Bible, it's got it going on. And, uh, Um, Here's some things that uh, people do instead of personally um, receiving the word. There's eight of them, certainly more, but let's highlight these ones. First, they deny it. They deny it. It's like, I don't believe it's true. I don't believe it's applicable for me. They might write it off or have some argument that somebody who really hasn't done their work uh, brings about the truthfulness of God's word or its authority, and they just deny it. Deny it. They're like, doesn't matter, no impact, that's an option. Oftentimes that's not normally the number one option for the people who have committed themselves to church, particularly a church where we preach from the Bible every week. But it does happen in the world, and that keeps people from personally receiving the word. Second is this, they disregard it. Now we're getting a little too we're getting a little closer to home. They don't give it the time or attention that it needs. And so they're like, oh man, I've got to bring my Bible to church following along, wherever we're at, we're in Acts 17, got to make sure I'm open in the right place. Do I know where Acts is at? I'm not sure. And you kind of you get there, and you, but then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, just disregarded. Just disregarded. And if you disregard God's word, you're not going to be personally receiving from it because you're going to have no access to it. So that's one thing people do, they disregard it. Then this third one I actually have a tremendous amount of compassion towards. And this one is this, intimidated. It intimidates them. So, I mean, I mean, this big Bible, like, this has got, 
Let's get to Revelation. And uh, end of Revelation, we are at 2,400 pages. Some of you haven't read 10 pages in the last six months of anything. That was one of the problems I talked about earlier. And so now somebody hands you the Bible with 2,400 pages, and you're like, oh, I'm a bit intimidated. Yeah, I am too. And I was. When I came to faith in Christ, having no background in the Bible, and suddenly this book's put in front of me, and I try to read it, and I get to places where I'm like, what in the world is happening? And I don't get good wisdom, and so I just like, well, it's like any other book. I just read straight through it, and then I get to Leviticus, and I'm like, I'm drowning in a lack of understanding. This book's weird. We're talking about weird things. PG-13 things are things in Leviticus. Like, this is weird. And you don't have anybody that walks with you and says, hey, how about you start in the Gospel of John or Mark and read slowly and purposefully. And how about after that, Romans or Colossians? And let's read Genesis and understand that. And then maybe some other books of the Bible and you kind of unfold it a bit more rightly. And you're intimidated by it and it keep, it's kept you. And maybe it's still keeping you from personally receiving from God's word. And I want you to know that any of our leaders in our church, any of our staff people would love to help you um, get a good start if you've been intimidated by God's word. There's great resources out there to help you in that. I want you to know that. And we're gonna give you, we're gonna talk through a resource you got as you came in to help you. So this is the next one. Let's move from that one. Um, the next one is uh, shower empty praise. We love to shower empty praise on um, the, the, the Bible. Like the Bible, I love it. And you have your shiny Bible and you're like, I love my Bible. I believe in God's truth. And you're like, and, you, and maybe, you've got, maybe you've got like the Bible open in your house in some sort of fancy way on a table so that people come in can be like, oh, they must love the Bible. And, and you've, you've got all these things you say and these quotes that you have and, and you're like so, you're so like confident and you'll, yeah, the Bible's the truth. And then you're not really personally receiving it. It's just empty praise. It's just empty praise. It keeps us from personally receiving the word. Then the other thing we do after this one is we overanalyze it, right? We overanalyze it. This is the person that's like, okay, um, you know what? I have, uh, I've spent the last uh, 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 16 months in Proverbs. I have every single aspect of Proverbs perfectly categorized into all these different areas of life. And it's this part of your life and this part of your life and Proverbs speaks to all of it. It's got so much great wisdom. Or, or the person that's like deep, deep into the arguments of Paul and they're like, they know all the words and they know all the places and they're like, man, just give me, just give me a map. I'll, I'll put on the map every one of the cities. I know how to pronounce them even better than Pastor Brian. I'm sure you can. And, and they're just like, I got this. And they've analyzed every piece of theology and they've got it all perfectly categorized in their life. And they're like, I've got this nailed. But it's dead to them. It's dead to them. They've, they've cut it up and apart in so many ways, but they've forgotten that God's word says that it's living and active. And they believe that they'll understand the Bible more by cutting it into small pieces. And, and listen, 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 let me just be clear. I love studying the Bible deeply. I love looking into so many of those things I've even just kind of joked about. But if that is the end, it's a problem. If it's the end, it's a problem. 
if analysis and understanding of the depth and the glory and the goodness of God's word is leading to even a greater deepening of conviction and transformation of your life, now I'm good with it. So it flips, but if it's only overanalyze, it's a problem. Then this next one's related to it, consume for knowledge. This is the knowledge glutton. This is the person who cannot get enough of like lectures on the Bible. It's people who like think that reading commentaries is like super fun. And again, let me be clear. Knowledge about the Bible can really fuel life transformation if you get to life transformation, if you personally receive it. But if it is an end to itself, you just become a knowledge glutton. And some of us need to ask the question, we're like, I just need another Bible study. Whether you really need a Bible study or whether you need to realize that all of the things that you've already learned about the Bible really need to be applied to your life. Just ask the question. It's, I, I don't know. There could be some of you in here, like me, there's some areas of the Bible I really want to study in the next few years of my life. But if it's just an end in itself, it might be more entertainment than it is transformational. Consume for knowledge. Seven is only hearing. This is the person who loves to hear things, but they don't really listen. It's, I'm reading, but not applying. It's, I, I know that those words mean something, but it's, I'm not listening long enough and hard enough to where it's really challenging my life. And then finally, number eight, dependent on others. Dependent on others. I believe there is a great value to the preaching function in and around the church. But please hear me. It does not fire me up. It is not my end goal for you to like my preaching or my teaching more or anybody else's preaching or teaching. The most compelling reality is when the preaching of God's word fuels a high view of scripture that leads you to consuming God's word for yourself. And just like man should not live off of processed foods only, man should also not live off of processed understanding of God's word. I believe it's helpful. I believe it creates some boundaries and some encouragement. And I believe God uses it powerfully and has in our church. But again, it is not the end. And in our culture today, we have access to so much preaching, great preaching. But if you're just consuming yourself with what people think and write and preach, there is something I believe inherently important about the preaching within the context of your local church and community. But I also want to make sure that all of the purpose of that is so that you would have a higher view of Scripture and so that you would personally receive it yourself from your own study. The things that happen there, even if you are encouraged by a message to study a passage like Acts 17 this week, I promise you that the truths will be more deeply reinforced and more precious to you. I promise. Because the excitement I have about it is because it's been applied personally to me before I ever step up here and teach. Approach the scriptures ready to receive direction from God purposefully and personally. And so we want to help you guys out. So here's what you received as you came in this morning. If you didn't, there's some as you leave. Um, it's a James Summer study plan. And so over the next five weeks, what we want to challenge you to do is respond to this message. If you want to live this out, you need to make a commitment 
to a time set aside to go both approach the scriptures purposefully and personally. And so we've done this before in our church, and um, there's five weeks which correspond to the five chapters of James. Some of you are like, one chapter for a whole week? Yes, that's the crisis I was talking about. We're not used to that. You're like, anything for five straight days? It's going to be okay. I promise you'll survive. And so here's the thing. Five different things during the week, Monday through Friday. Um, Read slowly. Observe, interpret, apply, meditate. Chapter one. Repeat chapter two. On until you finish James. Now, if you're like, help me, help me. Um, Observe, interpret, apply, meditate. What do you mean? Back of the thing. It's up on the screens. If I was sitting with you, teaching you, how to read slowly and purposely and personally, I would do the same exact thing. This is what I do every week in my approach to the scriptures. This is what I do personally and as I prepare to teach God's word in our church. It's this. So I would encourage you to approach the scriptures ready to receive direction from God. And there will be a fruit born from your life in this if you're faithful to it. Not for just a day, but week over week over week in different places and passages in Scripture. And it will be a harvest of fruit that will lead to a harvest of righteousness. And it's this consistency that builds strong Christians and strong churches. And I want that for you and I want that for me, and I want that for our church. Let's pray together. God, I ask in this that you would um, lead us to have what we talk about in our church all the time, that we would have an authenticity, that there would be a consistency to what we say is true, and there would be a consistency to the way that we purpose our lives. I pray that as people are processing through this message and are convicted that they would not stay in a place of of guilt or shame or any of that. God, because you you died for all of that and this, this message should be one that beckons us because we've been captured by you and this is your revelation. And there's some places that are intimidating and And God, I believe even a lifetime will still be left in wonder and awe and asking questions, but the perseverance in it is a treasure store of fruit and change and transformation. So I pray that, Father, that we would look at our lives and we would purpose to commit to letting God's word be the thing that guides our life. We would give purpose to it. We would receive it personally. And we would stop the posing and posturing that happens too often in the church of Jesus Christ. And instead that we would be led, wooed, delighting in, and rejoicing in your word. Thank you, God, for that. Continue to lead us forward even as we study James over this next month. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.